Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. For those of you that are kind of new to our fellowship, do you know that today marks a real milestone? It's going to be the conclusion of the third epistle that I have preached through in the last three years. And so we're going to conclude this wonderful letter that Paul wrote while he was in prison to the dear people in Colossae that were believers whom he mostly didn't even meet except for just for a handful of folks. But I'd like you to get your Bibles out now because we're going to cover this and I believe there's some great truths that we can apply to our life and I pray that it'll be an encouragement to you. I've lived with these folks and I've lived with some of the things that Paul has said about them and it really caused me to take some um, inventory of my own relationships that I have with others and my relationship with the Lord. How many of you have ever had the opportunity to travel to upstate New York to go to what is known as Baseball's Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York? Anybody have that opportunity to do that? A few of you have. Well, let me tell you, when we used to minister up there, we would take people that would come to visit us and they'd always want to go see the Baseball Hall of Fame. Well, when you went in through the front door, you would see these beautiful bronze busts. These are heads of the guys that used to play baseball and they'd be lining the shelves and the walls and you would see old baseball gloves and baseball caps and uniforms and baseballs and there'd be all sorts of information. When you walked in there, you'd hear the scream of the crowd and you could almost smell the leather of the ball equipment. It would really bring you back in time. And as you looked in this Hall of Fame, you really knew these were outstanding athletes, outstanding ball players. And so as you look at these different ones, you would think, well, they probably didn't like each other. That they were so competitive with one another. Well, I'm sure human nature, there could have been some conflict. But those of you that have played ball long enough, you know that even ball players and other teams, you have a sense of camaraderie with them. There's something really special about them. Well, did you know that the Lord also has his Hall of Fame too? Now, some of you that know scripture, you can go to the book of Hebrews and you're going to read a chapter in Hebrews that gives some of the most outstanding men and women who lived in the Bible days that were called the Hall of Fame. You'll hear about or read about people like Isaiah and you read about Jeremiah and you'll read about all these great people in the Bible. But do you know that there are some lesser known people that God wanted us to know about that also have character that he has built into their life so much so that Paul wanted to identify with those people and share them with us. Now those of you again who know something about scripture might be aware of the man Paul. That crusty old Jewish man that came to know Christ as his savior and immediately he was then used as an apostle to plant churches and to be a stalwart for the faith. And when you look at Paul, you think of him as being a driving dominant type of personality. And he was one that really knew sound doctrine and he wanted to have the people to know truth and to really know God. But there was other aspects about Paul's life. It is true. He was a task-oriented person. He wanted to get the job done. He was goal-oriented. And yes, he was a man who knew God. He knew his word and he wanted others to know the Lord. He had a real intimate relationship with the Lord. And he wanted others to have that intimacy. But there was also another part of Paul and that is that he had relationships with others. Did you know this? That just in his writings in the New Testament alone, he mentions no less than 100 people. That's almost as many adults that we have here today, that he knew them, he would talk about them, and in a certain way, he had a relationship with them. In fact, when he was writing to a group of people that were believers in the city of Rome, in just one chapter alone, he named 26 different men and women, and he had a relationship with them. And so that got me to think. 
that yes, some people are more wired to be task-oriented, doing-type people. And then there are others that are more wired to sit down and have fellowship and just have a good time with people. But I believe that Jesus Christ was a perfect balance between being relational and task. He was a perfect balance between being outgoing with a lot of people and working really well with just one person at a time. And so if I look at the personality of even Jesus Christ, that perfect composite of people and task and a lot of people and a little bit of people, do you know that when you trust Christ as your Savior, that that about Him lives within you and me? And so, yes, we might have a bent to be task-oriented, but when we dig into the Jesus who's inside of us, we too can accelerate our people skills. And then when we like to work alone, sometimes we're asked to stand before a crowd and we get nervous, we can dig into the Lord and He'll help us to do that. And that only comes to those who have trusted Christ as Savior and are now a partaker of His divine nature. So that nature of Christ is in us. And that's why we want to have this oneness, this intimacy with the Lord. And as we do, it now comes out. So the Lord really is relational, and that doesn't surprise me. When you study the various religions and other what we might call religious leaders, you're going to find that they didn't really talk a lot about relationships, and they certainly didn't talk about having an intimacy with them. And so the Lord is all about relationships upward and relationships outward, and that's all about the Lord. So relationships was important. And perhaps that's why when Paul was in this dungeon, uh, old prison here, a stinky little moldy prison, and he was writing to people that he loved so much, he thought, well, the first thing to do is this. In order for them to have healthy relationships with others, they need to know the Lord and have a healthy relationship with Him. So he talked all about who this God is and how that they can come to know Christ as Savior and the significance of being a Christian and being in God's forever family by faith and then how to grow in their knowledge of the Lord. And then he quickly begun to spin it into relationships, knowing that it's not just an upward, it's an upward and then an outward. If we love Him with all of our heart, then we'll love our neighbors. And if we really love our neighbors, we're going to make disciples of people so that they too would know the Lord. So then he talked about relationships. And that's what we've been talking about. If you have a new relationship with Christ, you then can begin to have new relationships with other people. Because a new relationship in marriage means to be unselfish with our mate. And I hope that maybe the Lord is bringing this character trait out in you. That you have a new relationship with him and you're unselfish more toward your mate now. And how about at home with your family? That means you're going to care more for one another in the family. You're going to feel their pain. You're going to sense where they are and help them to get to their next level. And then you'll have a new relationship on the job, which means you're going to be loyal towards your fellow workers. That there's going to be a commitment there to live a life of honesty, decency, and integrity, care, kindness, compassion, and correctness. So you're going to be loyal to them. And then obviously you're going to have a new relationship upward with God. Now, it's more than just prayer. But in this letter, he wanted them to know the importance of having a relationship with the Lord in prayer. So let me just ask you, how's your prayer life? How's your communion with the Lord? Do you have it when it's a call prayer meeting? And do you also have it when you're alone? Do you have it during the day and you think about him? Do you shut the radio and CD player off and turn off the MP3 player and you just concentrate on the Lord and just commune with him? That's a new relationship you want to continue to have with him, a growing relationship through communing with him in prayer. And then a new relationship with unsaved people, people who don't know Christ, which means I've trusted Christ as my Savior, now I need to live more wisely around them so that my purpose now could be to share the gospel with them, to help them come to know Christ as Savior. So it's not just me getting fire insurance from hell when I trust Christ as Savior. It's me being forgiven, a relationship with the Lord, and a desire for others to not only get fire insurance, but to glorify God. And the way they do that is by coming to faith in Jesus Christ, which now brings us to where Paul is as he concludes this wonderful letter, and he brings in this kaleidoscope of people. It's like a, a group picture. How many of you had a group picture before? 
Well, this is a group picture of people that Paul knew and Colossians knew as well. So let's look at having a new relationship with believers. It means being in fellowship with them. You know, this doesn't mean just that you're on the same organ in the same organization. It means you're in fellowship. You're two fellows in the same ship going in the same direction. You're together on things. And that's what this is all about. So the key word in this for Christ followers is relationships. And so today, the Holy Spirit is bringing this truth to us to hone our skills and how are we relating with others. And we're going to talk now not so much about relating to our mates or to our families or at work or to God or to other believers or to unbelievers, but right now to other believers in God's faith family. Look at what's interesting here. In this passage that was read to us by Pat a moment ago, he identified at least seven different relational characteristics. Would you look at them as I just kind of highlight them? I've kind of taken them out of the scripture and bundled them together for you. Look what it says here in a relationship. He referred to him as a beloved brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant, a faithful and beloved brother, again, my fellow prisoner, a fellow worker, and a bondservant of Christ. So he identified people by giving them more than just a name. He gave them a character trait. Now here's a question to ask you. If you were given a name, what do you think would be next to your name to describe you as a person of influence? Now I don't mean a person of money now, but a person who wants to influence or add value to others. Now ponder that for a moment. Next to your name, who would you be known for if they could reduce your lifestyle to one little phrase, what would it be? Would it be a beloved brother? Would you be a faithful minister? Would you be another beloved brother and a faithful brother? Would you also be a fellow prisoner, kind of tied together for the same cause? Maybe a fellow worker. Would they know that together you are a bondservant of Christ? How would they define you? Well, that's a question that you need to ask yourself, and here's why. You are living your life. And you are being defined, and you can be defined by a lot of different people, but you also can develop within you the character of Christ that will define you in a very special way. So while I'm going to highlight some of the people in this scripture, I'm not going to spend so much time on what their names mean and all of that. What I would like to do is to bring out from those people that are mentioned at the end of this letter various traits of people that we might have, like in church, people that you might have in your Bible study group, people that you might have in your family. And let's see what we can do as far as gaining some insights and how to be friends forever with each other in a better way. So let's look at number one, the friend who served others. His name is Tychicus. Some people call him Tychicus. It doesn't matter how you pronounce it, but just look at the term served others. He says he was a beloved brother, faithful minister, and a fellow servant of the Lord. You know, it should make us uncomfortable if we are around other people, but we're not serving them. And think about that for a moment. Just to be around other people does not necessarily mean fellowship. There's a certain act of serving them. When I'm around them, I would like to serve them. If you look in the context, you're going to see that it's a relationship of serving others. So when you get around other people, your mind ought to be looking. Your spiritual antennas might be going up. Who here needs a love touch? Who needs a kind word? Who needs some extra help to lighten their load? Whose burden can I carry or relieve? Who can I cheer up and comfort? So as you come, you're going to say, my fellowship, the people that I'm around, I want to add value to them. Is there anyone in your family right now that you need to do something for to lighten their load? Is there someone on your job that's carrying an extra burden that you might be able to help them with? If you look in that context a little bit further, you're going to hear him referred to as a dear brother. So that's a family relationship. You'll hear him as a faithful minister, which means it's a working relationship. That you're not only my family member, but I'm going to work with you. And then it says here, a fellow servant. That would be a spiritual relationship with one another. 
I have to tell you, we had such a sweet time. This summer, it seemed like we've done a lot of moving. We've moved four different families or people in our church this summer. We ought to go into business doing this. Out of those four groups, two of them were pastors, Pastor Charlie and, of course, Carol and me, two separate moves. I can just remember the time that we were so sweaty and tired and hot as we were unloading the truck for the last time up there in Coolio where we live. While they were, Claire brought pizza for everybody. We're sitting down on boxes or standing up or kibitzing outside. Different ones were working, unloading, fixing, etc. I looked over this wonderful group of sweaty, stinky people. And I looked at them and I thought, this is what true fellowship is all about. Now, the sad thing, or I don't know if it's sad, but the uncomfortable thing I would say is this, is that they were really doing it for Stan and Carol. And I'm grateful for that. Don't, 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 I'm not putting that down. But I'm saying I don't want it to be about me. While I'm grateful for that, I really believe that I, they got such a blessing because they were doing it together, huffing and puffing and carrying and unloading and figuring out where things would fit. The joy that we had to serve together. And this church, God has given us a wonderful opportunity to do it in your families on various events that we have here on site, wherever we might be. And so maybe we could follow the example here of Tychicus. And we're going to be known as a brother, a fellow worker, but we also do it for a spiritual cause. Because we really want to serve others. That's fellowship. Let's go on to number two. It says here, the friend who sought to correct his past. The friend who sought to correct his past. Now, those of you that might not be now familiar with the Bible, there's a guy by the name of Onesimus. Now, he made one mess of it, if I could use that term for you. Onesimus made one mess of it. He was really doing something wrong, and what Paul was doing was writing a letter, a very short letter this time, probably a one-page letter to a gentleman by the name of Philemon. Onesimus was his slave, but Onesimus ran off. But then Onesimus came in contact with Paul and perhaps others that refocused him again. And Onesimus then really, he turned his life around. And so what Paul was doing was writing to Philemon, who owned the slave known as Onesimus. And he said to Philemon, why don't you re take back, receive him back into your life again. He's repentant. Let him have a do-over, so to speak. And all I can believe is that Philemon, because of Paul's influence in Philemon's life as well, that Paul was a catalytic agent to bring two brothers that were in conflict with one another because of a work relationship. And one became repentant for the mistakes that they made, and the other one could have a forgiving spirit, and they were united again to each other. So as I look at this, it's seeking to correct his past. And he was all-inclusive in this, and that's what fellowship is all about. Now here's how I could draw an analogy for this. You know, there are going to be people in our families and in our church at times that are going to misstep. And we could call it a misstep. We can make it a boo-boo or an uh-oh. But in fact, a lot of those missteps, boo-boos and uh-ohs are sin. Now, sometimes a person will actually violate a known scripture and they're doing it in a state of rebellion. Others are going to do it because they're new in the faith, faith and they're kind of slipping all over themselves and they, they make a mistake. They didn't know a biblical principle on that and they're going to err. But what Paul is doing here is showing us a lesson that we might be able to learn as well. Here's Onesimus who did make one mess of it that was then reunited again. And now he's saying to the people at Colossae, I'm sending Tychicus to you to find out some truths and I want to hear back. But I'm also sending with him another guy by the name of Onesimus, which means he's including Onesimus in a partnership with Tychicus 
He's also including Onesimus in his own ministry because he's being sent there and doing things. But he's also sending Onesimus when he says, and you know him. So here's what you and I can make out of this. If one of our brothers or sisters missteps, does an uh-oh or boo-boo and sins, and that person now comes to a point in their life where they realize that they have sinned, they've, they've, they've grieved God, the Holy Spirit, and they confess that sin and they want to have a do-over, that we too should allow them an opportunity to grow and to come back again so that they too can rise like a shooting star for the Lord. And we should be inclusive. Now, yes, they may have to walk a little bit for our trust to be renewed in their life. That's true. But it doesn't mean that we're going to marginalize them out. So here's two things for you. One, take those people back in if they're repentant. And those of you that have misstepped maybe other places and you're wanting to come back again, that's the key thing. Onesimus, he wanted to be restored restored with the Lord. And when he was restored with the Lord, he wanted to be restored with other people. And God gave him an additional ministry. But you have to want that. So I don't know where you are if you've made one mess of it. But if you have, I want you to know that you're in a safe faith family right here. We're going to err on the side of mercy and grace to you and help you get started because we know we can misstep. But at the same time, don't lay on the sidelines. Don't let Satan let you wallow in your guilt. Take ownership of your mistake. Ask forgiveness. Learn that lesson and get going again. Just like Onesimus. And you can have a broader ministry too. Let's go to the third guy that's mentioned here. It says the friends who had sympathetic hearts. I put these two guys together and you'll see what I mean in a moment. One is Aristarchus and the other was Luke. He referred to Aristarchus as my fellow prisoner greets you. And then he had another guy by the name of Luke who was a physician who greeted him. There are many guys that Paul knew that were greeting the people at Colossae. But these two right here, Aristarchus and Luke. Because he said, you're my fellow prisoner. I thought about this with a sympathetic heart. That authentic relationships are the kind that will last a long time. They're authentic. They last for a long time. Sympathetic heart. Here's Aristarchus. I imagine that he was with Paul. I don't know if he was actually locked in prison with him or not. I don't know if he was there in a prison experience knowing that Aristarchus couldn't go and do other things because he wanted to be around Paul ministering to his needs. But in any case, here's how Paul saw it. Whatever Aristarchus did, Paul saw him in the same challenges that he had. Now you go to Luke. A little bit later on, you're going to find in another writing, he said this about Luke. He said, only Luke is with me. So you have Aristarchus, who is willing to identify with Paul and his prisoner, you know, the riots and the mobs and the jail experience. And then he had Luke, who also traveled with him through all of his challenges, including a shipwreck and a bunch of other things as well. So you have two guys, Aristarchus and you have Luke. Both of these guys were sympathetic to the hurts and the challenges and the afflictions of the Apostle Paul. But because Paul had those, they weren't going to abandon him when Paul was in those states. They stayed with him like that. So here's my question to you. Would you like to be known as an Aristarchus that you're willing to get dirty for God and come alongside someone else who's going through some tough times but not leave them? Are you willing to stay with them through their ministry and not just go in and out of their ministry? I pray so. As I went through this passage here and I saw those two guys, Aristarchus and Luke, I'm not the Apostle Paul in this illustration by any means. But I got thinking about Pastor Dennis and Pastor Charlie. Now, Pastor Charlie, I've known him now. If you can imagine that, it makes me feel like I'm, I'm like an ancient guy. Almost 35 years I have known Pastor Charlie and Pam. I've watched them be true to the Word of God. They've loved their families they served wherever they could serve. They tried to plant a church and got a group of believers on fire for God. Their kids are walking with the Lord. They came over here, a secular job, just to help us to grow. And he did it because he, and while he did it, he did it staying in contact, in connection with Carol and me. 
So in a way, I look at Aristarchus as being Charlie and how he has stayed with our ministry, praying for Carol and me, watching us as we went from ministry to ministry, watching us as we dealt with our kids and all the things we've been through. And then I look at Luke being none other than Pastor Dennis. I remember when I first came here, there was a real question. If Stan becomes the pastor, will that mean Dennis won't be here? Will they have to let Dennis go? Because we can only afford one pastor. We can't afford two pastors. So what are we going to do? So I talked to the leadership, prayed a great deal about it. And my comment was this. If Dennis wants to stay with me, I'll stay with him. And let's see if we can make this thing work. I came in July and I said, let's try to see what this thing is like in December. Well, by December, I met with our board and the committee. And I said, you know, I really like Dennis. It would be a foolish move on our part if we could not keep Dennis. And I would like to trust the Lord to adequately through your giving to be able to afford two guys. But if not, then you can pay Dennis and I'll deal with whatever's left. I have to tell you that God stepped up and he took care of all of our needs. Now, the next year, we are now fully committed that Dennis and I are in this thing for the long haul. And I really believe that God has brought three guys together. You have your Luke, you have your Aristarchus and whomever I might be. In fact, you might refer to us as the B.O. Trio. We really love each other. But I believe it's not because, you know, we like the same things, the same food, etc. Do you know what I think causes our heart to beat together in the same rhythm? It's because both of us are passionate, desperate for God, and we're lost without Him. And it's a relationship we have upward, and all of a sudden, when we see the Lord, we are so flooded by His cause to build God's kingdom, not a church empire. And so together, we want to lose ourselves in you by losing ourselves in Christ, and that's the bond. And you know, that's just us three. And we're just a little tiny three, three little fish in the, in the pan. All of you have history with one another. And those of you that are new, the beauty of this is that we want as many fish in the pan as we can get. And we all want to die together or go up together should the rapture occur. It's all a part of God's plan. And you see that in these two guys, Aristarchus and Luke, how lasting they were. They stayed with them to the end. Well, here's another guy. His name was John Mark. I identified him as having a surprising future. And the reason he had a surprising future is because early on in Paul's life, there was a little bit of problem with John, Mark, and Barnabas. There was a time when uh, Barnabas and, and Paul separated because Paul didn't have enough confidence in a guy named John, Mark. And so John, Mark came between Barnabas and Paul, flesh speaking, perhaps. And so they separated. But Paul does the unexpected he still sees that beating in the heart of John Mark perhaps is another heart that's beating after the heart of God. And that God would take this young boy, John Mark, and would begin to grow him into becoming a great man of God. And so I call it fellowship as often as unexpected. Look what it says here. It says, with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. So he's really saying, if John Mark comes to you, you be sure to welcome him. He didn't marginalize John Mark out of the group. He still saw value in John Mark, and he wanted to foster more relationships. He didn't want to divide. He wanted to bring Mark connected, and he says, if he comes to you. Now, if you don't mind, this morning, as I was meditating on this passage, I came across two words that kind of was like a, a secret signal. Would you look at that verse again? Remember the problem he had with John, Mark, and Barnabas. It says here, with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instruction, if he comes to you, welcome him. You know, Paul was also a realist. You know, he wanted to believe the best in John Mark. He was hoping that John Mark would do what he should do. Probably was expecting John Mark to go to Colossae and greet them. But on the other hand, he still reserved that John Mark has not fully proven himself. So he says, if he comes to you, then be sure to do this. And so I want you to know 
that even with your friends, it's better to put your confidence in the Lord than to put your confidence in people because no matter what, people will let you down. You know, I just quoted a verse in the Bible, Psalm 118, verse 8. Better to put your confidence in the Lord than to put your confidence in people. Here's what a lot of people don't know. If I could take all the Bible verses, all the verses before Psalm 118, verse 8, and then I took all the Bible verses after Psalm 118, verse 8, the very center verse in the Bible is the verse that says, it is better to put your confidence in the Lord than to put your confidence in man. That's a deep truth. It's better to trust the Lord to get to heaven than trust other men to get you to heaven. It's better to trust the Lord to get you to heaven than it is to trust yourself to get to heaven. So put your confidence in the Spirit, which will be the Lord, and not in the man. And so even though he's releasing John Mark, he's giving him another chance, but he's still reserving he might not be able to do it all. Let me ask you a question. Who do you know has offended you but is really trying to get back going again that you should give a second chance to? Is there a child that you should give him a second chance? Is there a mate that you should give a second chance? Is there someone on the job you should give a second chance? If, you know, I, I want the best, but if they, and try to connect people together. Are you a network person to glue people together? Or are you a gossiper that divides people? Are you those that are going to try to help them come together? He said, if he comes to you. He never once said what problem there was between him and John Mark and Barnabas. Never said that at all. In fact, he united Barnabas, John Mark, and the Colossian people. And in a certain way, he never once said something negative about him. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear.